So I'd like to start with a little piece here from The Secret Life of Bees by Sumon Kid. I hadn't been out to the beehives before, so to start off, she gave me a lesson in what is called bee yard etiquette. She reminded me that the world was really one big bee yard and that the same rules work fine in both places. Don't be afraid, as no living, no life-loving bee wants to sting you. Still, don't be an idiot. <laughs> Wear long sleeves and long pants. Don't swat. Don't even think about swatting. If you feel angry, whistle. Anger agitates, while whistling melts a bee's temper. Act like you know what you're doing, even if you don't. Above all, send the bees love. Every little thing wants to be loved. So tonight I would like to continue with the uh, talk on uh, patience, and uh, I'm going to add this piece of endurance tonight so we can just call it Patience 2 or something like that. Um, Good enough, you know. And um, first, I think I'm gonna. I wrote you a poem today, uh, but before I I read it, I would like to just talk a little bit about the these parmes, these perfections, and uh, just sort of going back to uh, what um, really this uh, lineage of uh, the last Buddha before this last. Uh, Siddhartha Gautama of the Sakya clan, uh, Deepakara, uh, when he um, recognized that, that there was a person that was worthy uh, of his uh, validation of this person's path. Yeah, it's a huge, huge piece. And then in this process, uh, what uh, Gil talked about is the kind of the uh, two wings of uh, practice of, of uh, wisdom and compassion and that this, the, the, the body of the bird uh, are these perfections, uh, this uh, working of, um, of the practice of generosity and uh, the practice of virtue and renunciation and of wisdom and energy and uh, patience and truthfulness and determination and loving kindness and equanimity. That these are the kind of the, that that holds it together. And that in this practice, uh, all these are in, they're actually working all the time when the mindfulness, uh, there is uh, this awareness of what it is that's, um, uh, of, uh, what's being noticed and uh, what's being, what's one of these is being supported uh, in the kind of the goodness uh, of that, uh, that what uh, I like to call the kind of this insight practice, the, the uncomplicated. Uh, and that this uncomplicated has this basic intelligence. You know, you don't have to do anything. What you have to do is kind of create uh, the first uh, recognition 
that uh, that that uh, is holding us uh, uh, has uh, certain uh, qualities. You know, these qualities of these benefits and the, the story of the Buddha is that uh, when in the second watch of the night, when he finally uh, had the experience of awakening and began to reflect uh, on this uh, truth of awakening, that he began to go back uh, moment after moment through, they say, 900 lives, you know, uh, looking at the continuity uh, of, his, um, of his efforts in these ten paramitas, you know, how they worked. And it is uh, known as the Jataka tales, uh, tales of many uh, different types of uh, patience and effort and, and endurance and uh, uh, times that uh, he really called on his wisdom and uh, his sacrifice and his ability to uh, continuously, continuously, this one, this first one of generosity, uh, constantly uh, uh, surrendering uh, his um, uh, his uh, body, his heart, you know, uh, to uh, this uh, uh, direction, uh, this path of awakening. So, I'll read to you my poem, which is always a I think somewhat a work in progress, but uh, we'll see. I simply called it patience and endurance. Sitting upright. Shivers go from toes to crown of head. Oh my. Running down to the highway, thumb pointing away from here. Hitchhiking to a place where the discomfort and the darkness cannot come. Hitchhiking to a place where the discomfort and the darkness cannot come. Breath. One moment. Out of nowhere, the last embers of a fire gone out. Sparks. Yes. The fear rises in the flames again giving itself back to itself. The fear rises in the flames again, giving itself back to itself. Remembering here, returning instantly, pure longing for freedom. Blurred and ragged as it may be, being blind and poor, we find another breath. Learn to wait again and again. In the place of dis-ease, waiting, waiting, in our own sunshine. Forgiveness in our own home of longing. Sitting back up. The empty hallway beneath the breath where everything's broken, returns to itself. 
reassembles. Glued from the horse hooves of the beast of burden we are. Fingers unclenched. Luminous sky opens. Waiting on the rim. Time, body, breath. Waiting on the rim. Time, body, breath. Again and again. Walking across any darkness. Any territory. Any high pass to find that one heart, your heart. Enduring. Constant glued together, precious life, this one life, confirms our courage. We go forth. So we all have this place that we know so well where we um, kind of wonder, I kind of had in my mind this picture, always kind of thinking pictures of running down to the highway and putting my thumb out and thinking, oh man, somebody in this really fancy car would kind of pick me up and take me to some place way away, <laughs> you know, uh, where uh, I wouldn't have to sit in this remedial, uh, you know, <laughs> Uh, jabbering of uh, all these old stories or uh, planning new stories, you know? Somewhere. You know? We do it, you know, 10,000 times a day. You know? But to practice this practice of remembering uh, this uh, willingness we really has to do with the, our capacity not to, uh, to struggle against. Uh, but to allow the simplicity, this, the, really the uncomplicated. You know, not to make anything up, but just to again and again uh, give the simple attention to hear. Pure longing for freedom. It's something that in each of you uh, is uh, maybe blurred or somehow uh, ragged in its own way. It brings you here, you know. And part of this is our willingness to kind of sit and watch and wait and see that uh, somehow uh, there is uh, this recognition that uh, there is a path, you know. And the path has uh, certain truths, uh, certain um, they really are recognizable. Uh, truth, this uh, way of generosity, 
you know, uh, generosity. Uh, who? Uh, who here? You know, when the moment comes and you sit and some struggle arises and you remember that uncomplicated you know some uh, a moment where there's just the body and the breath you know, uh, there's some surrendering to what's here you know, what happens you know, in that surrender you know, there is this uh, tremendous uh, self gift this giving you give to yourself you know and that giving to yourself then actually allows in so many ways uh, to begin to feel uh, feel that uh, freedom is not something that was in a book or was talked about somewhere but is somewhere uh, in part of this every moment, part of your experience, you know. And we get so complicated, we cover it over in so many ways, you know. But the practice is that in those moments, there's so many moments where, you know, it's not about I or me or mine or some kind of contraction, but it's just simply what's here, you know. It actually happens more often than we realize. But because there's no charge there, there's no, you know, uh, this has uh, some kind of, uh, you know, uh, liking or even disliking. That it's just simply a moment, you know, where the struggle is gone. We're not trying to fabricate anything. It is the unfabricated. And our mind uh, wants to skip over it. It wants to go to try to find uh, the habit of liking or disliking, you know, holding or you know, something to chew or analyze or uh, somehow uh, leave here, you know, the habit of it. And this is saying, Oh, wait. It may be right here. Not complicated. Not actually difficult. But then again, you know, we're sometimes so blind and so poor that we covered that up. So I thought uh, I would um, kind of work with the story here. It's all story, by the way. But there are greater stories and lesser stories, and <laughs> this is my great story, so. <laughs> uh, 
and it's about a mountain. A mountain that you know, I heard about maybe 40 years ago uh, from uh, a book called The Way of the White Clouds uh, by Lama Govinda. And he and his wife had uh, journeyed uh, to this mountain in, uh, in far kind of western Tibet. And that it um, had this uh, incredible uh, spiritual power and significance. And being, you know, true adventure, uh, you know, if something's there, I have to at least go and look. It's no different than, I think, sometimes this whole practice that we work so hard to look on the inside. But our world out there is also uh, a manifestation uh, of when the clouds clear away. There are these places uh, that... Uh, inside, outside, human being, uh, particularly in the native traditions, you know, have uh, been called, uh, called to um, what, go forth. You know. So some years ago, it, um, and it's taken me um, some years to finally come around to saying, okay, um, it's time. In time, in the sense of, um, you know, oh, gee, uh, getting older. That's one message. And the other message is this piece around longing, you know, that the world is a mysterious place. And sometimes we have to go to very far off lands. Uh, to touch the simplicity of ourselves. It's the same way we come to retreat uh, and uh, uh, we go inside uh, to a far-off land you know, to find sometimes just one line, one small line within us. You know. And sometimes we have to wait and we have to endure, you know. And we have to practice this, uh, this way of patience. You know. There is, uh, I could call it fool's patience, and I have to say I've uh, learned a lot about that in my life, you know. Uh, because it has to be actually this part about um, these two pieces of the practice, uh, I use the language of the uncomplicated. Uh, that's really the here and now, this, uh, the mindfulness in every uh, fraction of a second. You know, that wakefulness, that awareness that's available. You know. But also that co-joins with it, that's there, that uh, is not something you have to struggle with or try to do anything with, and it's just basic intelligence. You know, this basic intelligence is who you are. You know, you can trust uh, when the mind uh, rests in this uncomplicated, that this intelligence is there. You may have to wait, and you have to maybe wait a long time. You know, but it speaks, and it speaks 
uh, not from an immediate place, but some place deep down. It takes time. You know, you have to have the patience to wait. Uh, and the willingness, the willingness uh, of all of this is based on this capacity to, to listen, to really listen. You know. So this mountain in western Tibet, you know, it is the uh, pilgrimage uh, spot for uh, five uh, religions, you know, from Persia uh, through India, China, the whole, that whole kind of area. It is on the highest uh, plateau of the Tibetan plateau. Uh, and on that plateau, which is around 15,000 feet, is this mountain. Uh, and uh, there is uh, a wondrous blue lake that uh, is uh, all of this is in its own kind of magic, depending on the mind that you bring. It's like the mind you bring to your practice. It can be a very kind of pedestrian mind that simply, you know, wants to see the uh, uh, the process of uh, dealing with the anxiousness of the culture and the time in our history, our personal history. But there's also the mysterious, you know, something that uh, is here. Uh, that is not something that we can uh, really grasp. You know, it only can be seen at the corner of our seeing, the edges of our seeing. And it's going on here. You know. We forget. You know, sometimes we don't look or remember, or we get caught in our you know, kind of pedestrian mind of, kind of history and good and bad and I and me and mine, you know. But if we start looking in the kind of the cracks of how it is, then there are things that can be revealed, you know, that bring um, you know, maybe just simply a deep sense of uh, wonder. You know, just uh, this morning, you know, when Trudy was talking about the body and and uh, this uh, a quote from uh, Ajahn Mun, you know, a great, uh, he was a, a great mystic uh, who lived in uh, northern Thailand maybe 100 years ago. And what was interesting about him was he always, he was on the move all the time. You know, hard to even catch him or find him. Uh, he lived out in the jungle. And kept moving. People would try to find him, but he would disappear. Ajahn Chah only actually was with him for about three days. You know, but in that time, just that when their minds uh, uh, co-emerged, you know, uh, he spoke of how um, when he first uh, met him that there was it was like. Uh, oil and water, and that he had, uh, he knew the water in the sense of the relative, and he knew about the absolute, that, that this uh, longing for freedom, but this freedom was there. And so he had shaken it up and he had seen that, oh yes, 
You know, uh, in this relative world, there is this, uh, uh, that that's big, the big exists and uh, is touchable. But as he said, uh, what changed with Ajahn Moon was actually uh, he went from uh, the water to the oil and from the oil looking back at the water, from the absolute looking at the relative instead of the relative looking at the absolute. And Ajahn Moon's advice, you know, simply that, you know, uh, uh, this body, uh, this fathom-long body that uh, oh, oh, we um, uh, can allow it to inform us, inform us. We don't do anything, you know. It, I mean, it's just amazing, you know. It takes this stuff from outside and it, you know, you put it in and it kind of does all this stuff and gives you all this energy and, and what do you do, you know? You know, you breathe this air that they say every, you know, breath has a, what, a molecule of Julius Caesar or something. It's like, it's phenomenal, you know? The mystery, it's here, it's happening, you know? Uh, when we let go of our story, uh, we give ourselves permission, you know, to somehow see that. So story, you know, we uh, begin this uh, process in the sense of um, uh, last year in uh, March in Tibet, uh, there was um, an uprising, which uh, pre-Olympics kind of closed the country down. And... Um, at that time, I think it was June or July, got this email about, well, what are we, what are we going to do? You know, we had 21 people in uh, kind of a waiting list uh, to go on this trip. And uh, should we uh, go up and drive, you know, from uh, Lhasa uh, to the mountain? Um, uh, or kind of stick with uh, this plan of, well, if we can't get in, then we'll just walk. You know, walk in the western part of the Himalayas and and uh, and maybe see it from uh, some high pass, you know. And uh, my thought process there was one of the things I've done these pilgrimages uh, in India in the footsteps of the Buddha. And one of the most remarkable things about this man, you know, when you actually go and you travel to all the places. He went from where he was born in Lumbini in kind of uh, central um, uh, South Nepal, uh, all the way down to where he was enlightened, Budgaya and, and uh, uh, Rajgir and, and uh, near Banaras Sarnath or uh, Sarvasti, or, um, where he taught for, I think, uh, was it 25 rainy seasons? The guy walked. I mean, he walked and walked and walked, you know. Uncomplicated. You know, he left his horse on the other side of the river when he left, and then he walked, you know. Um, so uh, my decision was to walk, that we should walk, whatever, you know. 
uh, things uh, really didn't work as planned in some ways as that, uh, as if they should, you know. <laughs> Uh, we got to uh, Kathmandu, and, and um, there had been a, a snowstorm uh, in the mountains, and uh, we uh, flew down in the Terai to this Nepal Gunge. And then uh, we had to deal with the fact that every morning we'd have to go to the airport and wait to see if there was, uh, if the ground was dry enough to uh, bring our planes in and drop us off. So we'd go and we'd hang around. It was hot and sticky and muggy and, and uh, you know, uh, not the most pleasant place in the world. You know. But at the same time, it depends on the mind. You know, what is the mind you bring to sit? You know? And one thing lovely I can say over the years of taking uh, people to Asia is um, if they sit, it works out. <laughs> you know why? Because they know how to wait. You know, they have learned a fundamental truth: patience. You know, so it's okay that you have to come and go and wait until you finally can, you know, go into the mountains. So we did. You know, we made it. We actually were the only uh, group, I think, until probably until May of this year, and it had been a year before that, so a year and four months that actually a group that got in uh, to that area. We were, we, again, if you look at it from just, uh, well, whatever it was that took us to get there, but there was something else going on. You know, again, if you see it as the, the world, uh, maybe it was getting into this retreat. I'm not sure for you. But there's always, uh, it's sort of like uh, mysterious forces, you know. And we can either uh, live with trying in some way to see that this is all doorways. Uh, and the doorways all are causes and conditions. And we actually have the power in our um, being uh, through this practice to influence. Uh, influence, oh, we can modulate our karma uh, by our goodness, by these ten paramitas. We can actually uh, change our karma. And if we couldn't, if it was just action-reaction, there would be no awakening. It would not be possible. You know. So we are, in a way, uh, you could say deconstructing, or we're staying in kind of a positive stream of our uh, of the influences of the past. So we start up the mountain. And it was seven days walk to get to. Uh, the Tibetan border to go up over this Narla Pass and down uh, uh, onto the Tibetan Plateau there. And it was a lovely walk, except my third day, my boots started disintegrating. So that was equipment failure, number one. And then uh, I had been to the dentist before I left here. 
but uh, unfortunately, uh, they can't really tell uh, if you have uh, you know, a tooth that's dying and, uh, through x-rays. So uh, when we finally make it to the, near the border and we get up on this Narla Pass, and we're, about, we're maybe 1,000 feet from the summit, and it's freezing and it's cold and you know, sort of getting in the sleeping bag and uh, suddenly in the middle of the night, at 15 or 16,000 feet, uh, I wake up at maybe, you know, two in the morning, and I'm in pain. And uh, I'm in real pain. You know, I go, oh my gosh, I have an abscessed tooth. So I don't say anything to anybody, but I realize, uh-oh. And not realizing that, you know, as you, when a tooth is dying, uh, it, you know, there are air bubbles that, um, uh, are usually at sea level are absorbed by the body. They're very small veins in there. This is what it was explained to me. But at high altitude, they expand. And as they expand, uh, they um, create a thing called, uh, I'm sure you don't know what it's called, pain. <laughs> you know? <laughs> you know? And, um, and of course, I... I kind of, uh, you know, being sort of the stoic, uh, I'm fine, <laughs> my guy thing, you know. So I'm doing my guy thing, you know, and uh, I'm fine, you know. And we get to the Chinese border, and like I'm, I can barely, I'm ready to throw up, and I'm kind of sitting there falling off my chair, and, you know. At some point, oh, I guess it wasn't there. We go on to the, from there to this town, and. And uh, I say, anybody got any drugs? And it was amazing how many drugs came out of people's pockets. You know, it was like, you know, everything you can imagine, you know. You know. Um, uh, but actually, it didn't, at that altitude, so it didn't do much of a dent. You know, it just made me kind of woozy in some ways. And then... Um, uh, the next day, then I started that. I guess that morning, the next morning or day after, whatever, I started antibiotics, and it takes a couple days for them actually to work in that way. So I just kind of gritted. I guess it's a good term, gritted my teeth, <laughs> you know, uh, for a couple days there, and kind of tried to smile, but it was really, it was tough because all that happens with that is I just, you know, sh my system shut down internally. And, um, and then uh, as the antibiotics started to kick in and I started to feel better, uh, then I started to realize where I was. You know? And we came to the top of this pass, uh, which takes us down onto this Lake Manisavara, and then seeing Kailash. And the first time I saw it, it was like my whole system just, uh, it was, uh, it, they call it the Crystal Mountain. You know, and the whole practice for 10,000 years is that all these different cultures come and circumambulate the mountain. No one has ever climbed it. You know, or no one, you know, uh, an Italian got, um, a great climber got permission. And he went there and saw what was going on and said, I'm not doing that. You know, this is not that kind of thing. It's interesting how when we uh, kind of put ourselves on journey like this is journey, 
I see all of this as, as sort of, uh, uh, this is a steep path. And we're all climbing. You know. Sometimes we get to places and we see vistas, and other times we go down into some canyons and everything gets kind of locked off and dark and it's cold and it's humid. And, and we wonder, why the, where are we? What the hell are we doing here? You know? Did I take a wrong turn somewhere? No. But uh, there is uh, also uh, this truth of that this is a uh, process of, um, you know, uh, it takes and digs in. And when we listen really deeply, you know, in some ways, I just use it as pulls the poison out. You know what I mean. You know exactly what I mean. And even though this was walking and we were, you know, we weren't really doing, we were kind of both sightseeing, everybody doing all these little different things to get ready to go up the mountain and the lake there. And uh, you, you take a ritual bath, you know, I remember getting my underwear and getting into it and somebody take a picture of me. I was going, don't <laughs> publicize that. <laughs> and... Uh, so, but taking that ritual bath, and then at that point when we started to move towards the mountain, uh, then suddenly I realized that um, uh, whatever had happened in this pain and this kind of lockdown, that uh, which some of you may know here, some kind of lockdown. And then uh, suddenly there was this uh, sensitivity, you know, and the sensitivity started first with realizing, oh, how many people I had hurt in my life. You know, how many people I had either abandoned or, uh, you know, from family to friends to different, to women, to all kinds of, you know, situations where I had, uh, uh, not with intention, but uh, life had changed, you know. And sometimes there there was pain involved in it, uh, in the, you know, in the separating on some level. But I'm sure you haven't had any of that. But anyway, uh, for me, though, it started this process of suddenly I started to cry and I started to see that, you know, um, uh, oh, oh, it's not about the intention. It's just the truth of this, you know, uh, life of, of wanting to be loved and, and wanting to be seen and to be heard and the complexity of all the wounds that are kind of um, bouncing off each other, you know? And that in those wounds, um, you know, sometimes they're healed, but sometimes they're not. You know, that's just the way it works, you know? And so there's this whole process of, of you know, of the, of the pain of uh, kind of the, the past, the history, uh, and a sense of, you know, asking for forgiveness and, and in some ways, um, being forgiveness itself, you know. And I realized that part of this process, this whole mountain, and then we started, uh, we stayed in this uh, place that, at the bottom of the mountain that I called the sand hell. You know, they say that the upper part are all the heaven realms, and then all below are the hell realms. And this place was sort of in between, but it was a little bit more like, uh, it was called Darchin, it was a little bit more like the sand hell, you know, uh, and um, not an easy place. And um, 
but we started when we started from there then I started this whole process of what I'd walk alone and then I'd cry and I would feel the kind of the uh, one thing the beauty of the mountain and the beauty this is called the valley the the first valley you go down it's called the valley of the gods you know and it's uh, 50, I think it's uh, what's it 52 kilometers around the mountain yeah. um, and uh, this valley of the gods uh, it was sort of this whole thing where my shoes were like duct taped up and delaminating and and uh, I was sort of delaminating and <laughs> No, and but there was this whole thing about what this mountain was and this intention of how we you came here and even if you don't know your intention there's this longing to be free it's in there it's in you it's part of the kind of your your ground of being uh, is this purity this uh, basic goodness uh, that is your core your foundation and that our job is somehow to untangle the complexity, you know, and uh, find somewhere inside, you know, this transition from the uh, place where, um, you know, uh, for me, it's just I wanted to push away the old stories, you know, or cut them off and not let them inform me. But as I let, because I didn't have many defenses at this point, let them go through. Uh, let them inform me that there was actually a transformation. And it has to do with the second wing, you know. And the second wing is about compassion. It's about the fact that uh, we sit here and we sometimes uh, sit in our kind of ragged, um, uh, blurred, uh, you know, um, blind and poor place. No, that happens. But because of this bird, this two wings of this bird, and that capacity that the practice is the, it is the, this wisdom piece, this wisdom that actually sees the uh, non-substantiality of who you think you are, you know, in the face of all these stories, you know. And what happens? No. no. You are me. I am you. No, we're not separate. No. So my pain is your pain. Your pain is my pain. It's this piece that is the recognition that it can go from this kind of contracted, uh, kind of self-poison. Uh, that it has the capacity to transform itself. Uh, uh, into uh, this uh, wide, uh, wide world. You know. In that transition, you know, uh, between the, uh, the self-absorption and the narcissism of um, how we're the center of the world. You know, and that has to somehow, this is the process. It's, this is not, you know, um, the sweet, uh, sometimes it's so uh, luxurious in some levels here sometimes, you know, 
But it's really not what's going on. What's going on here is actually a threat on some level to the foundation. And we're trying to be nice about it. But anyway, <laughs> the foundation of who you are, of what you've constructed, you've fabricated you know, as this uh, individual. You know. And I'm not saying that's not important because this whole process of individuation is terribly important. But to have that strong sense of who we are, that individuation uh, of uh, holding that, that somehow we're enough, it, then it has to be questioned. It has to be confronted to dissolve its uh, uh, self-cherishing and begin to see, in the sense, I still like this word, the big. You know, it's kind of like we... We're this little box in the universe, little teeny box, you know. And that we come here, and, and uh, the first uh, the first part of the practice is kind of bouncing off the inside, you know, <laughs> bang, 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 you know. But eventually, uh, when these paramitas, as they develop, then we start to kind of put holes, um, put holes actually, uh, in the walls. You know, and then, wow, you know, we can't take too much of it, but wow, this is a big place, you know, this is a big place, you know. So we went on up the mountain. Actually, six of the 21 uh, made it around the mountain, which in expedition terms, if anybody makes it, then everybody makes it. That's kind of the good rules of this. And uh, for me, I didn't make it. You know, and I had a lot of stuff, and my son was with me, and he actually made it around. But there was this piece for me of not making it around. You know, uh, uh, that was uh, maybe more important. You know, and I got to teach, and uh, there was a great saint, in, a Tibetan saint called Milarepa, and I got to teach in his cave up at like 16.6 in this, uh, the north face of Kailash. You know, what more could I want? You know, it was just okay with me, you know? And watching, you know, these yaks in the snow uh, falling, and um, uh, it was great because in this little monastery where uh, we went in, I got to teach, I think seven of the group came for uh, teaching on, uh, I taught on the co-emergence of appearances. You know, what are you looking at? You know, are, am I here? You know, where do you experience me? What, what is all this stuff here? You know, how real is it? You know, you know uh, what's it made of? You know, is it solid? And so there is this, but it co-emerges with everything, so we have trouble in our minds separating it out. You know. 
in this co-emergence of thought. You know, we make up the world with our thinking, our minds. You know, we can't separate it out. What are thoughts? You know, aren't they just something in relationship to everything else? They are. They're, you know, invisible. Not as something separate, but not different. Cool. That's pretty cool. You know? And the mind, you know, what's it that is looking out through your eyes? Does it know? No. Is it enough just to? No. It was great because uh, as I was giving these teachings, they, one of the things in Tibet that they uh, don't allow any pictures of the, His Holiness, uh, the Dalai Lama, uh, and also um, the Karmapat. And here up in this monastery, there's a big old, there was a throne and there's a big old picture of this, of this young 17th Karmapa. Uh, uh, you know, uh, truly uh, you know, remarkable lineage of beings that come from um, the really this kailasha, the practice of this great saint Milarepa. You know. It has to have this intelligence. You have to learn to trust uh, a voice that sometimes is so faint. It's so faint that we have to sit and wait on the kind of edge of the world, the edge of time. And sometimes it's such a small little whisper. And we're interested. We get really interested. And it's not always in language you can understand. Okay? Not with the mind. but you know it from the heart. It was great in the sense of being up on this north face and realizing on some level that uh, how precious and how I really wanted to live. You know, uh, this, uh, you know, I, in the middle of the night I thought, oh, I've worked so hard. You've worked so hard. No. For this one precious life, and gone through so much to get here. No. And how precious this is. This time. Uh, this 
uh, these parmies that come together so you can do this. Uh, inspiration to us as teachers up here. You, know, uh, you are truly uh, you know, a reciprocal circle, a gift. Uh, Patience, endurance, sitting upright, shivers go from toes to crown of head. Oh my, running down to the highway, thumb pointing away from here, hitchhiking to a place where the discomfort and darkness cannot come. Breath, one moment. Out of nowhere, the last embers of a fire gone out. Sparks, yes. The fear rises in the flames again, giving itself back to itself. Sparks, yes. The fear rises in the flames again, giving itself back to itself. Remembering here, returning instantly, pure longing for freedom. Blurred and ragged as it may be, being blind and poor, we find another breath. Learn to wait again and again in that place of dis-ease. Waiting, waiting in our own sunshine, forgiveness in our own home of belonging, forgiveness in our own home of belonging. Sitting back up, the empty hallway beneath the breath, the empty hallway beneath the breath, where everything's broken, returns to itself reassembles, glued from the horse hooves of the beast of burden we are. Fingers unclenched, luminous sky opens, waiting on the rim, time, body, breath, again and again, walking across any darkness, any territory, any high pass, to find that one heart, your heart, enduring, constant, glued together. Precious life, this one life, confirms our courage. We go forth. Let's just sit for a minute.
thank you for your attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.